So I'm going to read from you from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, from verse 7 to verse 8. Whether we call it Exodus or Exodus. It's in the Bible somewhere in the New Testament towards Revelation. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I think some of you will spend the whole, the whole service looking for this book somewhere. It's the second book of the Old Testament, uh, the Torah. And Exodus chapter 3, reading a story of Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up for the land, to a good land, a large land, to land that's flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hevites, and the Jebusites. So the Lord basically, he scanned the earth, he looked all over the the, the, the the earth and began to locate where his people were and saw their condition and saw their location and God did not like what he saw. He saw the people of God and saw what state they are in, like Nehemiah, when he asked about the condition of the Jews who were left in Nisan, he asked, what's their condition? And he got the report. He says, when I heard, I fell down, wept and prayed. So something he heard, Nehemiah, moved him, his heart to respond by brokenness. A.W. Tozer used to say that God will never use anyone greatly until he wounds them deeply. So great leaders are wounded people. They're wounded over injustice. They're wounded over the conditions of others. And they're not comfortable because of their personal conditions. They remain agitated, moved. When they look at the condition of others, something in them begins to rise up. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has a wonderful meeting, preaching the gospel, teaching and miracles and signs and wonders. He has what we call, we'll call a successful meeting where he's just ready to write a report and newsletter, sending out to your partners, telling them how wonderful the ministry tour had been. But Jesus, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the multitudes. The Bible says then he was he had broken with compassion. So he sees the multitudes. He sees what's still yet undone. What is still needed to be accomplished, the Bible says, then compassion gripped him. Compassion is being agitated, is being broken out by the condition of others. It's, it's being gashed, something gashing out of you because you see the condition of others and you just cannot let it pass you. It's compassion. And it's something that God has placed in the heart of every believer. But some of us choose to suppress it. We, by nature, are given by God the ability to feel the pain of others. But we often act contrary to our values and suppress that which is natural for us as Christians. So in this instance, God speaks to Moses. As Moses, Moses now, remember, he's, I mean, he's privileged. The guy is privileged. He's schooled in the house of Pharaoh. He's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He has one of the best educational systems of that time. Raised up in the aristocracy, in a royal house, and has the privilege and the opportunities available to him to be anything he wants to be. As a daughter of Pharaoh, he's got the whole world in front of him to go and be anything. He chooses to fight a battle that he did not create. He chooses to do things that take him out of the privilege he had. He sees a Jew and an Egyptian fighting. He gets involved. Why? Because he knew 
that on the inside he's still a Hebrew, even though he's raised in a Jew, and, and he's still a Hebrew and rose raised in Egyptian. That on the inside he is what he is, and he cannot deny who he is. And then he takes this fight, and this fight costs him. He has to run away. Now he's tending the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, somewhere in the wilderness, somewhere out there, and he, for all intents and purposes, he has lost significance. I mean, you cannot be getting worse from being a prince to be a shepherd. Because prince, by their nature, have shepherds attending to their animals. They don't shepherd animals. But they have other people, attendants, people focusing on that. Now you become something you've never dreamed of becoming. You're becoming low life. You're with a sheep. They just have droppings everywhere. You smell a sheep. From where people picked up things after you, you're the one picking up things now. Because that's what your life has become. Because you dare to take up an initiative and a project that costs you your dream. So he's there, he's telling the sheep of his father, and he's a shepherd. And then he sees a burning bush, he's burning without being consumed, and he's attracted to this sight. He comes close to this, and as he comes close to this, a voice speaks from this burning bush. And the Lord speaks to Moses after he's grabbed his attention and is now still listening to the voice. And God says, listen, this is who I am. This is what I saw. This is what I want you to do about it. God does nothing on the earth until a human being is ready to say, send me, Lord. God doesn't move from heaven. He's sitting on the throne. Everything God does, he does it through a human being. He says, I saw, I heard, I know. I've come down to deliver them. Now, where did he come down? You read the whole Bible. He didn't come down. Not in the way we understand it. He never left the throne. So Moses was the manifestation of God having come down. Moses was not the vision of Moses to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. It was God's vision, but that vision had to live through Moses. He had to embody the vision in the heart of God. So Moses, when he says, I could not speak, God says, Aaron is coming. He will be to you a mouth, and you shall be to him God. God said that to Moses. You will be to your brother Aaron, your cousin. You will be to him God. He will be to you a mouth. Go. Make no excuses for what I've called you. There's a mouth. You become God. You take my place in the life of Aaron and the life of the nation of Israel. So he goes and talks to the nation of Israel and he announces himself, listen, I've met the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has spoken to me and this is the mission. So the Lord sees the position of the nation of Israel and because of their bad position, he gives Moses a position so that Moses will use his position to change the position of God's people. With, so if a, the people of God were not in a bad position, Moses would not have a position. So now he has a position because somebody else is in a bad position. So Moses has a position. Leadership is not about the leader. Leadership is about the lead. It's about the people who are being led, being taken from one place to the next place. A leader is a dealer in hope. A leader is a bridge between people's past and people's future. A leader doesn't exist for himself. A leader is not judged by how many people follow him. He's judged by how many people become leaders. How many people's lives have been transformed through his leadership. That's true leadership. So a big church is not a sign of success. 
where there's people who are in ICU, in hospital, who can't do anything for themselves, who can't even pray for themselves, but they're depending on one man of God. That's not Christianity. It's a cult. It's a cult. That's what I'm writing about in my book on passion for positions. Positional leadership versus people-centered leadership. Jesus says, the works I do, imagine, he gave away leadership. He gave away ministry. The works I do, you shall do it. And even greater, he had no problem in somebody doing greater works than him. Because he celebrates that as success. Imagine you are Moses, you are told to take the people of God out of Egypt into the promised land. And you are the one who goes to the promised land. To dwell there alone in a land flowing with milk and honey. You stay there, they are caught up in Egypt, and you call it success. That's what some ministers are doing today. They're in the promised land. People are in Egypt. We call it successful ministry. The people who are supposed to the promised land is not the leader. Are you with me? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. A leader is in the promised land. He's, he's living in a land flowing with milk and honey. Everything is good for the leader. Everybody else is still in Egypt. With nothing that is good for them. And everybody, the leader and the led, call it successful ministry. Everybody says, Oh, my pastor is so good. I'm like, Wow, but he's in the promised land. You are not. You are still under oppression in Egypt, under taskmasters. Your life is not working out, and you call it success. Moses never went to the promised land, he never went in. But Moses is one of the most successful leaders that ever lived. But he himself never came in the promised land. He never did. He did. God says, there's Canaan. You're not coming in. But the whole Bible, when we read the Bible, the Bible, the Old Testament, is called the law of Moses. People, when they preach, so we're preaching Moses. Moses is a significant leader. He's a, he's a great leader. He's one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. Yet he never went to the promised land himself. He never enjoyed what he had a vision. He never enjoyed what he prophesied. He never partook what he declared, what he saw. He never partook of it. But people behind him went in. And Moses was a successful leader. He gave away. He gave it away. And what is Moses? Who's Moses? Moses is the guy who goes over the mountain to talk to God for 40 days and 40 nights alone with God. Who does that? Moses is the guy who speaks to God through a burning bush. Moses is the guy who, I mean, he does things. I mean, when somebody speaks negative of no Moses, Miriam and Aaron, God himself comes down and gives an answer. Says, Listen, with every prophet I speak in similitudes, in parables, in dark speeches, with my servant Moses I speak face to face. How do you speak evil against me? God says, who are you? I admit it, I don't. How did you conceive in your mind to speak evil against Moses? Miriam was turned into what is leprosy. Numbers 13, nothing happened to Aaron until Numbers 20. Because nothing happened to him because the, the garment upon Aaron that Moses had put had protected Aaron even against God. Numbers 20 on the mountain, God says, remove the garment of Aaron. As soon as he did, death struck him. Because he's been waiting for him. Dead. Boom. Because he's a high priest. And as a high priest, when you do certain things, there's no way back. You die there. Miriam could be healed, but Aaron, you've crossed the line. The stakes are too high. You rebel against Moses publicly. We must take you out. Because now you're leading a rebellion in Israel. Sons of Korah speaks against Moses. 
Moses says, if I am not a man of God, the earth will not, swallow up and, and will not open up and swallow you. As soon as he finished speaking, the earth had to conform and cooperate with Moses. He opened up, swallowed the sons of Korah, and the, and the Israel went on, and life went on. It's good service. <laughs> how are the service today? Everyone, how are the service today? Wonderful. 20 people died. What a great service. <laughs> the Lord killed 20 whole family of Korah, dead. What a service we had. Like the times of Anais and Sapphira. In the book of Acts 9, you know, after they died, the church grew. You know the Bible in Acts chapter 5. It says, then the church was added. I mean, after they died, the church grew. It's like, wow, it's wonderful. People kept coming. That's this, in our church, people are dying. Come, people, it's a wonderful church. People, people dead. The people just kept growing. It's wonderful. And so Moses is this is a special person whom God raves about. He's the most humble man on earth. He raves about this guy. This guy, I'm on mountain Sinai, Sinai is, is shaking because God comes and sits on the mountain. The mountain is thinking, look, you guys want to speak to God on yourself. You don't want Moses to speak to you. What does it do with me? I mean, I'm not involved in your own rebellion. The mountain is shaking because there's lightning. The mountain is thinking, I'm not going to do with this business. You are the one who wants to demand to go to speak to God. Now I have to be involved in this. Whole mountain is shaking. Whole mountain because God is sitting on the mountain. There's smoke, there's lightning, there's thunderings. Nation of Israel says, whoa, 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 tell God to stop speaking. He will, he will, will die now. Moses is in the middle of the lightning. He's in there, thundering. He's in there. He can speak to God face to face. God gives him so much authority, so much power to speak to Pharaoh and confront Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And things happen with his rod. Miracles happen. I mean, the whole creation you know, works with this guy. All of creation, clouds, this, rivers, seas, nothing, no, nothing standing in front of this guy. Everything, mountains, whatever the guy needs, that works around him. Things will move. Mountains must move this side and this. If the guy wants to go this way, things must cooperate with him. That's the kind of power Moses had. All this power to speak to God to speak to Pharaoh, to speak to rivers and, and speak to Rod Jordan, to speak to the Red Sea, to say things. And God says to him when he was standing there worried about the Egyptians coming and God says, do not worry, stand still. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall see no more. Don't worry about this. This problem will not be part of your life forever. Just stand still, point and move forward. And move on. Power of God. I mean, this guy is doing great stuff. Yet, believers, all of this power given to this one person was never given for this person's benefit. All of this resource, all of this power given to this one individual was not given for him. It was given because says, God says, my people. I will back you up with all my power. There's angels in heaven. I'll back you up. There's angels. There's archangels. Senior ranking angels, there's ranking. God says, I'll give you the whole lot. Nothing will stand before you in the day. All of your life, nothing will stand before you. Moses could not be killed by anything or anybody. God himself killed him. He killed him. I mean, nothing will kill Moses. He had to take God to kill Moses. Nothing was able to kill Moses. He couldn't kill him. He had to tell God, okay, I'm going to kill you now. And Moses said, okay. Was no problem. They didn't kill, they didn't make a grave for him because Israel would have made a shrine 
around the grave of Moses. God hid him there in the mountain. They don't know where he was buried. They had to mourn for him because it was, I mean, even when Joshua was called out, I mean, they were mourning. God says, how long will you mourn? I've appointed Joshua. And Joshua takes over from a vision that he did not create. And he takes the vision to the next level where he takes people through into the promised land and he does great things for God because the vision is enduring. It goes beyond one generation. It's not just about one person. It's an enduring vision. It's multi-generational. Joshua takes it in and people walk into the promised land. And again, it's about the people of God, not about the one who's leading them. He only has a privilege of leading the people of God because God has, has, has a, he feels something towards his people. You would never know God until you know his heart for people. You never know God. The people, the Bible says that the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was always, um, they forget, they worship Baal, they worship these kind of things, and they get into, into trouble. As that, they, I mean, the people who knew, they saw the power of God, but they kept forgetting. They would say in, Egypt, in, in the wilderness, I mean, you should have left us in, in Egypt, at least as graves. I mean, they forget so quickly. The Bible says that the Israelites, the Israelites, they knew the works of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. These ones knew what God does. He knew why God does what it does. The heart of God. They knew the hands of God. He knew the heart of God. What makes God does what it does? When you ask him, who should I say sent you? Who are you? I tell the people of Israel I've sent by, who are you? And God says, I hey, asher, I hey in Hebrew. I am that I am. It meant I am, dash, dash. Whatever they need, I am. He gave them a blank check. I hey, I say, I hey. So he went to deliver them. I've met this being whose I am. The eternal one. The one who lives forever. I've met him. And he broke through the heavens to speak to me through a burning bush. Not because you deserve him to save you. But because of his compassion for you, he has heard your cries, and now he has shifted my destiny completely. As a result of that, my whole life had to shift, and I must come and confront this great man called Pharaoh. Not because I want to. I don't want to go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh, but I don't have a choice. Like Jeremiah, this thing is like fire shut up in my bones. I don't want to preach this thing, but woe unto me, Paul says, if I don't preach the gospel. I have to go back and confront Pharaoh, not because it's a nice project or nice career choice, but because God won't let me be until I do what he wants me to do. I have to come back and talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So Moses' life is transformed because God's people are in a bad state. And Moses has to shift. He comes in. And he's not, listen, you don't understand this properly. Moses he was not excited about the idea of going back to confront Pharaoh. He wasn't excited about it. He wasn't, he made excuses not to go there. God says, ah, who made the mouth? I cannot speak, fine. Who made the mouth? After some to and fro, God says, enough, go! Go. You will never feel adequate enough to do what God wants you to do. Because it's not about your ability, it's about your availability. 
God doesn't call the qualifiers, the qualified. He qualified the call. So he doesn't ask how qualified you are. He asks, are you available? Would you go for me? Can I ride you as my donkey? Oh, and a donkey could have felt so privileged. Thought it's about him. The palm trees are about me. Hey, donkey! I'm... Donkeys, listen. You'd never experience this. You guys are just normal donkeys. Yeah, yeah, in Israel. You have not gone through what I'm going through. The following day, nobody's paying attention. It's like, oh, what happened? One day, the next day, nobody's worried, worried about it. Yes, it's because of who was riding you. No longer riding you now, so nobody knows who you are. You're just a normal donkey. It's always good to go for God to ride over you. To break into a Jerusalem riding over you. You become God's donkey. You become significant because of God's presence in your life. He gives your life significance. So, so this, this morning, and <laughs> purpose, purpose is something amazing. Peppers is responsible, and maybe just read you some thoughts from my book on culture, which I, I mentioned this because culture sometimes confuses a lot of people. They think culture is a source of identity. Can't be. I'll tell you why. Because culture is behavior, not biologic. So it's, bi- bi- it's not biologic. It's not part of your genes. Culture. It's generation, not genetic. It's nature, not nature. You are not your culture. It's a social construct. You're born into it, not born with it. It's a social construct. It's a man-made construct. Started by few, but followed by many. So culture was made here by people like you. I've got news for you. Your culture doesn't exist in heaven. Yes, it doesn't exist in heaven. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, right? A product is defined by the one who makes it, not by the one who discovers it. A product, when you make something, you define what you make. And God never defined you as a black person. Oh yes, read the whole Bible. You don't find it in the Bible. Let's make a black man. Just give me one verse. So black and white are social political terms. They are man-made terms to serve political purpose. And if you obsess over that thing, you'll miss heaven's idea of you. Completely. You'll be lost. You can't be defined by people because they didn't make you. You're going to be defined by the one who made you. People will give you permission to be everything else except yourself. Listen, have you tried this? When you start becoming you, what do they say? He thinks he's clever. Who does he think he is? <laughs> hey, look at him. I'm, what am I doing wrong? What do you think? Who do you think you are? I'm, I don't like drinking. I don't like smoking. I, oh, this. Like, oh, go to these churches now. You think you're cleverer than us? No, I just don't want to smoke. Yeah, we grew up smoking, and now you think you're better. No, I'm not saying I'm better. I'm not saying anything. I just don't want to smoke. I mean, it's my choice. Yeah, people have no problem with you doing wrong things. A time is when, oh, I don't want to fornicate. Oh, no, they teach. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to be true to who I am. I think it's better now. Who do you think you are? I'm a son of God. Is there a problem with that? I'm a child of God. I'm defined by my father. The word father in Greek is a a word pater, which means source. 
So Father is not just a biological construct. Father is one who's a source, source of life, a progenitor. So we emanate from God. He's our Father. He's our source, source of identity, source of who you are. You can never know who you are unless you know whose you are, where you come from, the source that gave birth, the, the, the stream, the oasis that gave birth to you. Listen, you know everything about your racial, your DNA structure, your racial, your lineage, your family tree. You can go to town researching all of that. Athlete. Listen, when you trace yourself, you trace yourself back, backwards, where you come from. You say, I want to know where I come from. How far back do you go? If you want to go back tracing who you are, how far back do you go? If you go back 600 years ago, what happened before then? So do you stop where historical knowledge or data ends? What happens to the first person you trace yourself from? Where does he come from? Because most of you can trace all yourself only up a few hundred years. Some of you can only trace 10 years. You know, you, I mean, how, whatever how far you go, the first person you start tracing yourself from, where does he come from? If you want to trace yourself, you want to go back to Adam and Eve. That's a true place to start. You discover why people are created on earth. So this is what I say in my book. Peppers is what you're born for. Culture is what you're born into. Peppers has to do with the reasons for your birth. Culture is, has to do with the circumstances around your birth. Peppers caused your birth. Culture is incidental to your birth. Peppers does not change. Culture does. Peppers is God's gift to you. Culture is man's gift. Peppers is heavenly. Culture is earthly. Peppers is worth dying for. Culture is not. The impact of life lived under peppers lasts forever. The impact of life lived under culture is momentary. If you knew everything about your culture, but knew nothing about your peppers, you'd have lived a wasted life. Imagine Moses... Standing up, saying, hey, I'm a, like Paul says, Paul says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I did this. And then Paul says, ah. after numbering, enumerating his earthly credentials, placing them, step his CV, colorful. Lawyer, Roman citizen, can speak two languages. Paul says, but I consider all of these things but junk, but rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. I discount these things. I devalue them. They are nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. When he talks about knowing, they use a third level of knowledge in Greek, the knowledge by intimacy, not by academic understanding. To know him intimately like Adam knew his wife. He says, I want to be one with him. I want to be conformed. I want to be no distinction between me and Christ. I want people to look at me, they look at Jesus, they don't see a difference. I want to be one. I don't want to just know about him academically. I want to be one with him. To be intimate with him. That's what Paul says. Paul lived, by the way, Paul lived for one thing. He lived for that only. When he had this encounter with, on his world, Damascus, he had one mission only, to make him known, to make him known, to make him known, to make Christ known, and it became significant. If you don't do this, listen, it's not just a matter of just trying to recruit you to a project. This is nothing else but an appeal to recruit you to significance. 
for significance. You can never be significant if you don't serve the king of kings. I'm not talking about standing here and preaching. You can serve him wherever you are. He gives you significance. I grew up in Paul's birth. Both my parents have passed away. I grew up poor, struggled, all kinds of things talking about. You know, all these new things that you guys are talking about here, students, you're crazy about your, your victimhood. You want to make a whole novel, a whole book on your victim. You have all victim labels. You celebrate victimhood. You want to have new terms for victimhood. I'm black, I'm female, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. You, you, you mate on victimhood. I'm black as well. I'm not female, of course, so. <laughs> I was poor. I went to bed drink, eating brown bread with water. There's something called sweet water where you put sugar. I didn't even have sugar. I didn't have butter. I had bread and water. And go to bed. For many, many years, my parents passed away. I had one pair of shoes with holes underneath, put a cardboard inside the shoes. And I'll, when there's a puddle of water, I'll walk around like this, avoiding the water, skid around. One pair of pants, wear it in church, wear it in school. My grandmother was abusive. Everybody was drunk every day. My grandmother would ask for food. Her answer was, go and ask your mother in the grave. As abuse you could never imagine on a daily basis. Nobody spoke anything kind to me. My uncle was abusive. One day he said to me, do you want to kill yourself? I'll buy your rope to commit suicide. I'll help you out. I had no reason to want to live. Contemplated suicide so many times. What kept me alive was my curiosity. You say, curiosity killed the cat. It didn't kill this cat. <laughs> I said to myself, is that it? It will end here. I will just be gone. I said, no, man, I want to see how far this thing goes, how it ends. I was kept alive by curiosity. I mean, no. They will say he came and died. Dash. I said, no. I mean, I was born to suffer. There must be something. So I'm like, I'm curious. There must be something, man. Some kept alive by curiosity. And Lord, you just brought me on earth to suffer. That's all. No, it can't be. There must be something. So I'm curious. I'm waiting around. And as the devil, of course, being un uninformed as he is, not omniscient, is really not very clever. The devil actually uses your ignorance, really. He himself knows very little, but he writes on your ignorance. So for me, the mistake he made was to allow me to stumble into a church service where they were doing an outreach in my community. That was a mistake. 1995, June, somewhere stumbling, coming to watch a service because we think it's a joke. We're laughing at the people who are born again. We're thinking that can't be. They must have been bought when they said they were healed. There must have been something. They are being pushed when they fall. This thing can't be. This is all staged. So we come to see this thing. And the people are singing, a group called Gospel Effect in South Africa, Israel, Masai, and others, they were there, and they were singing, and they sing so wonderful. It was first time for us to see live music, people were singing live, we only saw no CDs and LPs and all that. So they sing so well. I'm captivated by this. 
And the next thing, this guy preaches, he's a charismatic preacher, he preaches so well, and then he makes this thing that we now know as the altar call. And my hand goes up, my friends are like, what's going on? I'm like, because it's not part of the script. <laughs> the script that we'll come here to joke around, this is not part of the script. You are changing the script now. My hand goes up, and the next thing, I pray the prayer. They say I must pray. They are so good at that. And some of, some of you know Lois Abala, a musician. He's, was, he's my church. They were so good in that, that is why his, his brother was in our choir. Prayer. On Wednesday, I'm saved. On Friday, I'm in a church choir. That's how good they were. And the reason why I'm in the church choir is not because I can sing. I want to be around these musicians from Johannesburg, people with cell phones. I mean, it was amazing in the 90s. <laughs> people can answer a call from this phone without a wire. It's like, it's amazing. We're like, huh? And they speak Zulu. Like, it was like, oh, it's amazing. It's like, it's romantic. It's like, it's exotic. It's language. Gabaza. It's like, what's going on? I'm like, who are all these people? We're like, we're lucky we're hanging around these people. And it's all amazing for us as young people from, the, from PE. And we hang around that. And gradually, as being worn out, wind out, being wind out of my life of debauchery and fornication and drunkenness. And God has begun to infuse in me something of heaven into this broken earthly vessel. Talking about identity, I knew I was black. I knew my clan name. I knew my family tree. I knew my lineage, but it meant nothing to me. The same people deserted me when it suited them. My mother left with an inheritance. When they finished inheritance, I trip bank accounts. They cleaned everything out, drinking every day, when then they left the house. So I was sleeping in one bedroom every night, touring the house, because I was alone with a three-bedroom house in the suburb. Every night I was sleeping in this bedroom and sleeping in this bedroom, sleeping in this, because what else? Who else was sleeping? I'm the, one, the only one using the house. So I was sleeping in this bedroom, and then this, I was touring the house, sleeping in the lounge. I mean, who cared who I slept? But the Lord was moving. Now, most of them have passed away, and I have buried them. I've taken them to the hospitals. I've forgiven all that pain. I've done five funerals in my house, my home, family, extended family. I've paid. I've paid for medical bills. I've fed people. I've moved on. And they've looked back and I thought, oh, now we see your God. They've gotten born again. They've left witchcraft, all that sangoma, because now they see that this orphan travels the world, has property, he's married, does this, he's doing better than us with all our divination and all our stuff and all our hatred towards him but God like Joseph what we meant for evil God has turned it out for good all of that so I want to encourage you this morning it's not how you start it's how you end remain curious to see the end be curious if the, for no other reason, just keep, just remain curious. So I want to see this thing. Right now, I have the privilege, um, guys who are playing, you can play, I'm closing. Um, I have a privilege of traveling all over the country, as I said to you. Sitting in a lunch meeting somewhere, some mighty men somewhere around the country, I go to many of them. I'm sitting there in the lunch, I'm having lunch with Angus Bakken. I'm sitting there, I cannot in my mind imagine what's going on. I want to prick myself. Is this real? This is the guy everybody hangs around, wants to hang around. Hardly any, hardly many of these guys can have the privileges I'm having. 
They will be in a meeting somewhere, in a VIP section somewhere in some part of the country. Hardly most people are sitting around trying to get a photo with Angus. I'm sitting with Angus having lunch. Everybody's, can I go and see Angus? I'm like, the security says, no, we can't, he's busy. And I'm sitting here with him across the table, chatting with him. I'm thinking, God, are you for real? <laughs> this is the same guy who lost both parents at a young age. <laughs> How, what kind of God is this? It's a good God. I have books. I just got a message right now. A lady told me my book is, is being used at Bible, Baptist, a fourth-year student, um, Bible school. I can't understand that. Trust me. I, I can't get it very well. They're reading my books in tertiary institutions, whatever. I don't even have a degree. I only have metric. I can't get it. I can't get my mind around how I matriculate write books that are read in tertiary institutions. <laughs> Listen, I know my father. I know what he can do. But you've got to give him a chance. I know my father. He's so good. He's so amazing. One day I'm closing this. I had a, a, a camp, young people's camp, and I had a prophet, a real prophet, not, not this guys who sell water. And give you a cell phone number as if you don't know it already. Oh, you're being bewitched. You're always bewitched all the time. It's like, who, I mean, who needs that? If you're a black person, who needs you to, who, I mean, who, who, I mean, you need somebody to tell you, who's a black person not being bewitched here? <laughs> tell me. <laughs> I mean, so, what's new? <laughs> being so I know. The devil hates me. I hate him. We hate each other. The feeling is mutual. What's new, prophet? I mean, I know that the devil hates you. Yeah, but I know. I mean, anybody who writes a book about ancestors, Christian veneration, Christian concern, anybody who writes a book about ancestors cannot be liked by the devil. So I know that. This prophet prophesies over everyone in the, in the camp besides me, and I'm getting concerned. It's the last day. I mean, I remember I've organized this thing, paid for this guy to come here. He's not prophesying over me. I mean, who doesn't need a prophecy from an, one accurate prophet who hears God? He speaks to people about destiny, nations, time and time. Yes, he's accurate like that. Gives exact dates and stuff. Me saying that. So I wake him up, he comes to the service. Five minutes, he says, I'm ready. He speaks. He speaks of Now, the last day of the camp, I'm getting very concerned. I'm like, whoa, Lord, it's amazing. And then he calls me up and he says to me, God says, he trusts you. You mean that, like, like, you mean like, that's it? Like, I mean, I don't mean in a bad way, but that's it? Like, no test test, like you're a billionaire, you're going to go to New York or you take over the world or, I mean, it's like, God says he trusts you. I'm like, okay, Lord, yeah, I mean, who's to question you? Like, but really? In your arsenal of words, like in your reservoir of many things you could say, like endless words. About my life, you like could say just one thing. He trusts you. <laughs> it took me years to understand what it means for God to trust me. To look on the earth 
at 7 billion people and wants to do something, he decides, you. <laughs> like, what? He says, you. My finger is on you. You rise up. I don't qualify. He says, I know. That's why I chose you. To defy the wisdom of this world. You. Every day I keep thinking, did he really, really choose me? I realize he actually did. That's what makes the whole thing amazing. And grace, that's what makes grace amazing. It's because like, really? He says, yes. To shake the nations of the earth. To speak truth in this day in which we live. It's the same God who's done it to me, who'll do it for you as well.